How many of you would, would admit that you are definitely a planner? You like to plan stuff. Like you like to plan vacations. You like to plan out your day. You like to plan out your week. You like to plan out like what you're going to eat during the week. You know, you just like, you're like crazy with it. Like you, you know, if you're married, you drive your spouse nuts with the planning, right? How many of you, you're like, I can't stand planning. I just like, when I try to think about the week and what I'm going to eat, it's like, it's just, I don't want to think about it. Or, or you go on vacation, you're like, I, I don't care what we do. I just don't want to plan. I mean, for me, I'm kind of a, I, I'm a little bit of a planner. I, I like to, I like to, you know, do the plane reservations and all that. I, I do like to do all that because, because I'm cheap and I want to make sure that we get, I don't trust Kathleen. I'm like, how much did you get the tickets for? Oh, they were cheap. They were $1,500 a piece. What? No. So I like to do all that because I want to get, so she just lets me do all that. And so, um, I, I can be a little OCD when it comes to, 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 to planning and stuff like that. Um, and, and so like in planning, like, especially when we have to take trips, like on missions trips, and you've got like a group over 30 people, I can get a little crazy. So how many of you, you've been on a missions trip with me and you say, yeah, pastor gets a little, little crazy when we're traveling. So, um, we, last year we were coming back through Atlanta and we had like an hour to get through customs immigrations with like 33 people. And I was freaking out cause I'm like, we're going to be stuck here all night with 30 people. And I'm so sick of them by this point because it's been eight days with them. I'm like, I can't take any more days. So I'm freaking out. So I'm just like, yeah, I'm just like literally yelling at people. We all have our missions t-shirts on that say we love Jesus. And I'm just screaming at our group. Hurry up. Right. So we get everybody, we get everybody through. We're literally running through the airport. I'm telling them to pick it up. I'm dragging people behind me. You know, we, we make it, we get to the gate, we, we get on fine. But the, the thing about, here's the thing, the, the, if, if you're a planner, the, the problem with that is uncertainty. Because you don't, something, if something gets thrown into your plans and throws you off, it's not good, right? If something happens, like something doesn't go right, you're planning a trip and you're in the car and you get stuck in traffic. You're like, wait, this, the traffic, that's not in my plans. Traffic is not in my plans. You know, this, this isn't working. And, and so it's this, it's this uncertainty that can throw us off. And, and what I want to share today is what, how do we deal with the uncertainty in our life when, when we, when something happens that we're just like, I didn't see that coming. I, 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 didn't, I didn't see this. This wasn't in my plans. This was not my calendar, right? And, and, and it can throw us off if, if we're not careful. And, and I think the things that we can struggle with in our lives is, is this uncertainty. And, and, and this is what I, I want to look at today as we, as, we, as we kind of finish up this, this whole series in the book of Revelation on chapter 2 and 3, looking at the seven churches that Jesus spoke to um, and, and Jesus, out of these seven churches, there were five that Jesus spoke to and had some rebuke for. And there was only two that Jesus actually spoke words of commendation, that, that Jesus says, you're doing these things well. And what's interesting about this church we're going to talk about, this church in Philadelphia, the church in Philadelphia in Asia Minor, is that this church was living with complete uncertainty. In fact, in fact, the, the church was, was, it was like day to day for the church, 
on, on they didn't know what was going to happen, whether it was through persecution or other things that were beyond their control. Jesus has some incredible words for those of you who worry, for, for those of us who have anxiety, for those of us who struggle with uncertainty, for those of us who are, are like obsessive with planning and then things don't turn out. Or maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I, you know, I look back over my life and I did not see it going that way. And there can be a lot of shame and remorse or maybe guilt of wrong decisions. And you're like, man, I, I, I didn't see that. And, and, and maybe because of that, because of the things you look forward to or the things you look to in your future, you've kind of gotten pessimistic. Like you're like, man, I made bad decisions here or this didn't work out. And, and why would this work out? And, and you've got, maybe you've gotten pessimistic. Well, I believe that there's some, there's some hope here for us here today. And, and Jesus gives some incredible words to this church in Philadelphia. I mean, really, if we think about it, wouldn't it be nice if life just came with a guarantee? I mean, I mean really, if we, it, but we know we're not promised tomorrow. And, and we understand that at times life just stinks. And, and, and they're not going to work out many times the way we've wished. And Jesus in, in John 16 gives some really incredible words to his disciples because he's getting ready to leave the earth. He's getting, he's getting prepared for obviously his crucifixion. And he begins to kind of prepare the disciples that he's not going to be with them. And they're, they're getting worried. And if you read through John, it's really interesting. John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus begins to talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. He begins to say, you know what? I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. You're not going to be alone. They're like, where are you going, Jesus? And that's where Jesus' wonderful words in John 14, where he says to them, you know, do not let your hearts be troubled. You know, trust in God, trust also in me. For in my Father's house are what? Many mansions, many, many rooms, many dwelling places. If we're not so, I would have told you, but I'm going there to do what? To prepare a place for you. So he says, don't let your, don't, don't let your hearts be troubled. So this isn't John, this isn't John, you know, he, he's speaking this and, and John is recording this and he's, he's sharing this with his disciples saying, listen, I'm going to send you this comfort of this, this Holy Spirit to, to kind of help you to get through this world the uncertainty of this world, but also to give you this Holy Spirit that will be this indwelling presence in your life that you will feel, that you will know that's there, that's actually guiding you, that will be your paraclete, literally your paraclete. That's the Greek word for it. It means comforter or counselor, one that will come alongside you to give you wisdom and guidance and power for living each and every day in your life. Someone say amen to that. And, and so Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you alone. So he, he tells him at, at, at the end of, of, of John 16, I love this verse in, third, in, in verse 33. He says, listen, I've, I've told you all these things. I told you that I'm going to leave. I told you these things about the Holy Spirit. But he says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have what? Peace. Peace. Now, did, did, did Jesus ever say that you're not going to have problems? What, what did he say? He says, I've told you things that in me you may have, have peace. Okay. That, that doesn't mean, he says, that things may be uncertain for you or you may not know what will happen 
tomorrow or that you're promised a troubled free life. Okay, that's not what he's saying because what does he say next? He goes, in this world you're going to have what? How many of you have ever had trouble in your life? How many of you got some troubles right now? Right? Okay, so he says you have trouble. But he, but, but he says this, but take heart, I've done what? I've overcome the world. So, so here's, here's, what I, here's what I want you to see. Let me give you a couple things right off the bat. If you're, if you're looking at, at your, your, your notes there, let me give you a couple things right off the bat. How do we correctly deal with uncertainty? How do we deal with the uncertainty of tomorrow? If we're not promised tomorrow, how do we deal with uncertainty? So here's the thing. You've got to adjust your expectations. So, so, so check this out. You've got to adjust your expectations and you've got to look beyond your immediate circumstances. So you've got, how many know that in life you got to adjust all the time? You, you, if, if, if you're not flexible, what's going to happen? You're going to, somebody tell me, if you're not flexible, you're going to what? You're going to break, right? So if you're not flexible, so when we go on a mission trip, I tell everybody, be flexible because if you're a planner and you, and I, and I tell you that, I may tell you, this is how it's going to go. And five minutes later, we may totally change everything. And if you're not flexible, it's going to be a long week. So here's the thing. We, we, we need to adjust our expectations. We, we need to be able to adjust those to look beyond our immediate circumstances. And so how do we adjust our expectations? Or how do we look beyond the immediate circumstances that can easily break us if we're not flexible? How, how do we do that? Because how many of we can get so immersed in our present circumstance we think, oh my, how am I going to get out? How is this going to work out? Whoa, 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 whoa. And it can break us easily. Here's the good news. The good news is Jesus shows us how. So Jesus writes this letter to these seven churches. And I wanted to finish with this church in Philadelphia because I, I am just enamored with this particular church. Out of all the seven this one just catches me. For some reason, this one, what they've gone through, Jesus' words to them, just, I, I wanted to dig into this one because it just enamors me. And, and what's interesting about this church is, is that they lived with this uncertainty and they had to live with it every single day. And so to this church, Jesus says, you've kept my word and you've not denied my name. So let's Let's see what Jesus says to the church at Philadelphia. And we're going to look at Revelation chapter 3. You can look along in your devices or if you've got your, your Bible, turn there. But I want to look at verses 7 through 13. And let's see what Jesus is doing there. And let's see what Jesus is speaking to their hearts. He says, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, write this. These are the words of him who is holy and true. Who holds the key of David, what he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. And I know that you have little strength, yet you've kept my word, and you've not denied my name. And I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars... And I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you've kept my commands and endured patiently, 
I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. Verse 11, and I'm coming soon. Everybody say that together. And I am coming soon. All right. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him a new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Let's say amen to God's word. Amen to God's word. Now, why am I? I'm just going crazy here. Mm. Let me make sure I'm not popping here. Am I okay, Dave? Okay. So let's see. Let's look at the background of the city. And, and I want to, the reason why I want you to look at the background of the city, because it helps us to give us just a better understanding of Jesus' word and, 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 and place more into context what's, what's going on here. So basically, the city was founded by King Attalus II. And uh, he named the city actually in honor of his brother. So the word Philadelphia means brotherly love. Now, I don't know how many brothers would actually name a city after their brother. I don't know about, I don't know how many of you that has brothers, especially if you're kind of close in age and you were growing up. There probably wasn't a lot of brotherly love going on in your house, right? A lot of competition, maybe a lot of fighting. But King Attalus names this city after his brother. The, the, the city was really strategically located for trading and was a gate to the east. And it got its nickname, Little Athens, for all its many temples. Let me show you the map here. I can kind of show you where, um, where we're at here. There's Philadelphia. Remember, that's Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. See the Aegean Sea. Macedonia is right across there. Greece is there to the south. So you can kind of get a picture of these seven churches. This is who Jesus is speaking to. You can see the island of Patmos, where John is exiled to, where he gets this vision from Jesus. Let me show you the next picture. It kind of gives you some ruins here of what uh, Philadelphia look like. So, so this, this city is, is, is amazing. It's little Athens because of all the many uh, temples and Greek influence that was in this city. It, it was a place that produced many crops and had beautiful uh, vineyards. Um, but the big issue um, for this city, which caused great uncertainty within the people that lived there, was that it was on a geographical fault line that created this tremendous earthquake in AD 17 that basically decimated the city. And the problem with that decimation of the city with that earthquake was really the aftershocks that lasted many, many years after that. And so there was this constant fear of this earthquake. Now, you know, obviously in in those times, they had no fair warning. Uh, it, you know, they, they, you know, almost kind of like today, but they, they have more um, technology to help give fair warning. So in the back of the minds of those that lived in Philadelphia were, were this fear of, of these horrible earthquake, which created much uncertainty within the population living there. Basically, them saying, can this happen again? Can this earthquake happen again? So they lived in this constant fear 
without any way of knowing if it could happen again. The other thing that's very interesting about this city was the emperor worship, where they would have to give allegiance to Caesar and say, literally, Caesar is Lord. And what's interesting there is that the Jews living there were actually exempt from emperor worship as as long as they weren't disruptive. So the Jews living there in Philadelphia um, didn't have to say Caesar's Lord, so they were kind of exempt from that. But for the Christians living there, it meant persecution if they did not bow to Caesar. And so Jesus commends them for not denying him within the context of their culture. So here you have this church that's living in the context of this culture, uh, persecution uh, because of not making allegiance to Caesar and calling him Lord, direct conflict of, of their allegiance to Jesus Christ, living with the constant fear of not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow with the constant presence of earthquakes. So you have this, you have this uncertainty for them on both ends, um, persecution and then, and then physical um, uncertainty with living in the environment of Philadelphia. So how does Jesus comfort their uncertainty? And Jesus gives them some wonderful words that I believe he wants to speak to us here today. And I believe that the words that Jesus speaks to them 2,000 years ago is just as relevant then as it is today. And so I want to I extract out of these verses for you what Jesus tells them. And what Jesus does is he gives them his character. What, what he doesn't, he doesn't, listen, he doesn't say, hey, I'm going to tell you there's going to be no more earthquakes. He doesn't say, hey, I'm going to make everything all right, that there's not going to be any more persecution. Does he say that? He doesn't. But what Jesus does for them is he gives them himself. He says, I'm going to give you something greater than maybe just the the security of knowing that everything's going to be all right. Because here's what happens. Listen to me. Here's what happens. The moment we get secure in ourselves." Our bank, follow me here. I'm going to start preaching. It's been two weeks, remember? Two weeks. The minute, if Jesus would say, hey, everything's going to be okay. Prosperity is going to be your way. No more earthquakes. Guess what's going to happen to their faith? Because what they're going to end up trusting is their bank account and the security that nothing bad's going to happen. And the moment that happens, I guarantee we lose our trust and our dependence on Jesus Christ. So that was an amen spot right there. That's good preaching right there. So listen, so what Jesus does is instead of trying to give them, hey, everything's going to be okay, he tells them, this is who I am, and this is the future that you can look forward to, even though your immediate future, living here on earth, may not be perfect. It may not work out the way you want it to work out. I'm going to give you me, and I'm going to show you what's going to happen in the future. This is where we have to put our hope. And I'll tell you what, those that, that, that have undergone persecution and those who've had to go through extreme things for their faith, the one thing that I've noticed, the one common thread that I've noticed with those is that they always think about heaven. And they always think about what God has prepared for them. And that's what keeps them going. And that's where we need to put our hope and we need to put our strength in the uncertainty 
of this world. Because how many know this world is passing away? And so we can't put our hope here in the things of this world. So here's what Jesus does. Here's how Jesus comforts them in the time of our uncertainty. So how does Jesus comfort us in the time of our uncertainty? First of all, what Jesus does in verse 7, he assures us that he is what? That he is holy. I like this. He assures us that he is holy. So Jesus is saying to them, listen, I am God. Everything about me is perfect. I am perfect in word. I'm perfect in character. I'm perfect in everything that I do. He's set apart from everything else and nothing can compare to him. So he says, I'm holy. I'm perfect. I've done everything for you. In me, you find your righteousness. In me, you are complete. So put your hope in me that I am holy, that I'm perfect in every single way so you can trust me. So he says, first of all, I'm holy. That's Jesus' character. He's not a man. He's fully God. He is God. He is holy. You can trust him. The second thing he assures us is, with the church in Philadelphia and for us today, is he assures them that he is true. I like this. Because what he says is, he says, listen, I'm authentic. I'm not like the false gods. I'm not like the culture that is around you that worships these false gods. Um, I, you, can, you can trust me. And here's the thing. How many have ever been told something and, 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 and you were kind of sold a bill of goods? It wasn't really as true as it was. Maybe you're up too late watching TV and you thought the Ginsu knives were going to change your life, right? You thought the bamboo steamer is going to change my cooking. So you got the bamboo steamer the Ronco record cleaner, and the Ginsu knives all together. You had a package deal there, right? And then it just, it broke. It didn't, whatever, whatever thing that you were sold, and you thought this thing's going to be good, this thing's going to change my life, and then it just let you down. It, it, it didn't deliver the, the way it said it would. Maybe it was a job offer. Maybe it was something you thought, man, this is, and then all of a sudden the rug got pulled out from underneath you, or someone backstabbed you, or someone just said a lot of things that just weren't true to sell you something, and you got deceived. Uh, Jesus says, I'm not that way. I'm true and perfect in every way, and you can trust me in every single way. How many know that people are going to let you down? It's the world. We're going to get lied to. You know, People have angles. We're, we're, you know, that's, that's the world that we live in. But Jesus assures them that he is true. The third thing there is Jesus says, here's the other thing. Listen, I'm holy, I'm true, but listen, I'm also in charge. Jesus says, I'm in charge. Now, you, you may think Caesar's in charge, but not really. I, I'm the one that's in charge. And what Jesus says here is something really interesting. He says, I hold the keys of David. Now, what in the world does that mean? What does it mean that he holds the keys of David and he controls what doors are open and what doors are shut? So he says, I have the, the, the keys of David here. And so what does this mean? Well, let me give you a little example before I dive into this. Um, you know, I remember as a kid, you know, you had the janitor of like your high school. He was like the key master. You could hear the janitor literally walking down the hall a half mile away because you heard the keys jingling, right? 
he had all, they had all the keys. They had all the keys to every single door in that school. And I can remember at our high school, there was a, there was a stairways that went down in this basement. And it was, the door was always locked. And we always would try to open it to get down there to, to see what is down in that basement. Is there dead bodies down in there? Are there freshmen that never made it? I mean, well, what's down in that basement? And I remember we, we, the, the janitor, our janitor was super cool. And, uh, you know, I was on the swim team, so we'd always be there late at night. And I remember one day the janitor was locking up things, he had all his keys, and there was like five of us, and we're like, hey, hey, what, what, what's down in the basement? What, what's that? We always wanted to know. And he goes, there's dead people. No, he, he, <laughs> he goes, you want to see? And we're like, yeah. So he, he had the key. He had the authority. He had the key for the basement. So we went down there, and he took us down there. It was really cool. It was like the boiler. You know, it was nothing big, but boiler, you know, all the, you know, he showed us around. He goes, yeah, there's a boiler here. And it was kind of keep cool, but he, he had the key to get in. And so I want you to get the picture. Jesus says, I hold the key of David. So let me give you the background, because this is, this is an Old Testament story. That will make that that Jesus is referencing here, and it will give greater context to what we're saying here. So, let me give you context. Here. There was an administrator for the palace under King Hezekiah, who lived some seven hundred years before Jesus. He was a king in Israel, and and there was this administrator named Shebna who was using his administrative privileges for his own personal gain and not for the country. So what happens here is God removes him and puts in a man named Eliakim in his place. And now Eliakim is given the keys of authority to the palace. And, and Isaiah gives us some insight here in Isaiah 22, 20 to 22. And this is what Isaiah says. Isaiah says, in the day that I've summoned my servant Eliakim of Hilkiah, I will clothe him with your robe. He's saying, I'm, I'm taking that authority away from Shebna, and I'm, I'm giving it to Eliakim, and I'll fashion your sash around him and hand your authority over to him. And he will be the father to those who live in Jerusalem, to the people of Judah. I will place on his shoulders, are you ready? The key to the house of David. Now, here are the words of Jesus. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. And so Eliakim is actually a picture of Christ. Jesus holds the keys. He is the perfect administrator. He will do what is right. And he has the ultimate, ultimate authority. And so what Jesus is saying is, listen, I, now this is going to make sense in just a minute. It's going to make greater sense in just a minute. Because what he says is, Jesus says, I hold the keys to God's kingdom. He's saying, I am the only way. And so what Jesus says, I have the keys that unlock heaven for you and I. I'm the guy with all the keys. If you want to get through the door, you got to come through me. I'm the only one. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes unto the Father except through who? Him. So Jesus, now, now this is, gives great hope to them because you're living in a culture where you're oppressed under this, this Caesar 
Roman rule that, that's saying, no, they have all the authority. They open all the doors. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. I'm the one that op- has all the doors. I have the keys of David. And so here's the thing. I, here's the thing that's going to make greater sense to you here. See, for a time, Christians were actually living under the covering of the Jews and were exempt from emperor worship. However, over time, they got booted out and were no longer counted in those records or counted in the synagogue records, which means they were on their own, which, which automatically meant persecution for them. They weren't exempt. Now, can I, can I, can I just... Can I just can I just dive into our culture today a little bit here? Can you, can you give me permission to do that for just a minute? Let, listen, we better be prepared as Christians to realize that we may not have the same privileges we did 10, 20, 30 years ago. Are you tracking with me? Okay. There, there, there may come a time, and I think the time is coming, where... To be a follower of Jesus is going to get more difficult and more difficult and more difficult. And we need to be prepared. And for these believers, they were under this covering of not being able to to be exempt from worshiping Caesar as Lord. And now they're extracted. They're kicked out. They're kicked out from under that covering. And, And Jesus exposes that. He understands. He sees it. And he knows who did it. He knew who threw him under the bus, but Jesus says, I'm going to be with you because I'm the one that holds the keys. I'm the one that has ultimate authority. And so this meant that they're going to have to, they're going to have to deny Caesar's Lord. And Jesus knew that persecution would ensue. So, so Jesus would make this right. Jesus assures them that he will not deny them both now and in the future. And then eventually in the future, he's going to make things right. So just understand this. Whatever we may go through as believers, please understand that Jesus is still in control. He's still sovereign. Jesus, listen, I know things are getting, can everybody say things are getting crazy? It is getting, as the kids say, cray cray. Okay, it's just, it's getting crazy. Okay, can we just admit it? My kids are going to yell at me for saying that, by the way. I Dad, don't talk like that. You're too old. You're 52. Don't talk like that anymore. Lily reminds me all the time. I tell her just to be quiet. Let me do what I want. See, here's the thing. that It's, it, it's coming. And, and we understand that things are, things are, are getting this way. So we, we, we need to be prepared in that way. But understanding that Jesus is ultimately in control. Here, here's, here's the fourth thing that Jesus reassures them. This is what I love. So they might, they might have come out of that covering. But here's what Jesus says to them. Jesus says... He assures them of protection from this coming tribulation. Now, now what, what, what in the world is Jesus talking about there? Well, we need to have a better context of the whole book of Revelation to understand. And I believe this is exactly what Jesus is speaking of. There is this coming tribulation. The Apostle John is given a revelation of the future that will happen in the end times. So if you read through the book of Revelation, you can see... Here's what's going to happen in the end times. And there's this period, a seven-year period. John speaks about, Daniel speaks about, Jesus speaks about. 
that there's going to be this intense tribulation period where God pours out his judgment on, on the world. And so John points out the seven-year tri- tribulation for the world. And during this time, God is going to, to judge because of their rebellion. And so this hour that, that Jesus is describing for us is this tribulation period. And, and I believe what Jesus is saying here in verse 10 is that he says, I'm going to protect you, protect the followers from this great tribulation by actually taking them away. And actually, Paul talks about this to the church in Thessalonica also. And Jesus says, I'm going to keep you from that hour of, of trial. And, and he will do that, I believe, through what scriptures say, by taking the church away, which is, is, is called, the, 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 some of you may have heard this way, the rapture of the church or the taking away of the, of the church before this great hour of this great tribulation. And what, what Jesus is saying here, he says, the earthquakes that hit the city will be nothing compared to what happens during that great tribulation. And so Jesus, what he does is, he assures them that they will be protected. Now, why do I believe this? Because, because of, of, of verse, verse 12. Here, here's why I believe it. Let, let, me, let me read for you verse, verse 12 again, because I think this is important. He says this, to him who overcomes... I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. And I will write his name of my God, of my God on the name of the city of my God, the new, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. When does the new Jerusalem happen? Happens in the end times. Happens after this great tribulation period. That what God does is he actually restores all those things that were broken. And he makes them new again. You can kind of look at, if you want to look, you can kind of look at the the word of God as bookends. You see at the beginning in the fall of God and they're kicked out of what? They're kicked out of paradise. They're kicked out of the garden. And then if you look at the end of Revelation, God makes all things new again. You see the tree of life. Everything becomes new again. God God renews it. He restores it. You can kind of look at two bookends from the beginning of Genesis to the end of the book of Revelation. And so this hour, Jesus is actually describing for us. And so Jesus, what he's talking about in verse 12 is he's talking about the end times. And he shares about this future city of God, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, and that, and that how his followers will all be a part of it. And so if, if, if you want to dig in a little bit further, read Revelation chapter 21 because John has given this description from Jesus of this new heaven and new earth in Revelation chapter 21. So here's the thing. Here's how Jesus just reassures them of the fear that they may have or the uncertainty that they're living with right now. Jesus gives them one last thing. And I love what he says um, in verse 11. And he gives them this one last little nugget as he mixes it in with, the, with this new Jerusalem. He says with verse 11, he says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. So he's saying, listen, persevere. Don't give up. I am coming soon. Now he said this almost 2,000 years ago. How much closer are we to the return of the Lord? He says, I'm coming soon and I'm going to come and get you and you're going to be with me. I love what I love that Jesus assures them. He assures them 
that he is coming soon. Somebody say amen. Amen. He's coming soon. I like what Titus says here in Titus 2.13. It says, while we wait, and we call this the blessed hope. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is coming soon. And so the word soon there is actually God's timetable. It means that it's inevitable without delay. So what is, what is the, the common thread through Jesus' words to the church? We just finished this. I'm going to ask Katie to come on up, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna close just in a, in a song today of, of Jesus as being our cornerstone. I, I want to pray for you today. Um, I, I want this to be solidified in your hearts and your lives today. But, but what, what, what is the common thread that Jesus has through all five of these descriptions of him? It's this one word assurance. Jesus gives them assurance in uncertain times. And some of you here today, you need some insurance today. And the only thing I can tell you is I, I can't tell you that it's, it's all going to be better tomorrow, that your circumstances are all going to change. But the one thing I can give you is Jesus. And the one thing I can tell you, he's not going to let go of your hand. And the one thing I can tell you, he's going to walk you through it. But the one thing I can tell you for sure is this. He does make all things right. And he does restore our brokenness. And that's why he gives this church the picture of the new Jerusalem. It's a picture of restoration. The things that were broken because of sin, God's going to restore all those things where sin and death no longer has its effect on us any longer. In fact, in Revelation 21, he talks about there's going to be no more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. See, God's going to make all things new. And that's our hope today. And so here's the thing. Jesus is saying, your future, your future is secure in me. Your future is secure in me. And he wants this church and he wants us to know that even living in uncertain times with persecution, he is going to see them through. And that ultimate test of his, um, of his judgment and persecution that will come upon this world, he says, I'm going to spare those who trust in me. I'm going to cover you. I'm going to protect you. And so Jesus is our ultimate hope in uncertain times. So here's, here's the, the takeaway. Think about right now, what is the thing that you are most uncertain about in your life? What is the thing that you're most uncertain about? And, and how can the words of Jesus and the description of himself, uh, description of, of himself help you with your uncertainty today? And, and here's what I want to do. We're going we're gonna to close in song today. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come up front as we sing this song. And if there's any of you that just need prayer and you're walking through a real uncertain time in your life right now, um, we want to be available to you just to pray for you and just to agree with you in prayer that the peace of Christ is going to envelop your heart through this time and give you encouragement. And here's, can I just be honest with you? I think sometimes you can sit in your, you can sit in your seats and you can, that was a good message and walk out. I think there's something when you take a step of faith forward and say, you know what, I'm going to actually have someone pray with me. 
it does something for your faith. I think it helps you to put a greater trust in God just to pray about it and to have somebody agree with you about it. So I want to encourage you today, if, you, if you're here today and you're going through that uncertain time, I want to encourage you to come and, and let us pray with you as we sing this unto the Lord. Amen? So let's put our trust in Christ today, knowing that he's got it all under control. And that for our wor- worrisome, it's not that we're never going to have worry or anxiety, but we know where to turn. That Paul said to be anxious for nothing, but with everything, to make it a matter of prayer and thanksgiving. We understand that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That's the promise we have today that we can go to Christ in prayer and that he's going to guard our hearts and our minds in him and continually reassure us of who Jesus is, that he's got it under control. And how many know we forget that real quickly when we go through a difficult time? Like, oh, yeah, Jesus, you're in control. That's why it's, that's why consistency in church and consistency in your Bible reading, consistency in your prayer life, consistency in prayer, consistency in your fellowship with one another is so good for us because we need to constantly be reminded that we need the Lord, that he's there for us. Amen? And we need to be encouraged. So would you stand with me? And uh, we're going to pray. And if you need prayer today, we'll be up front. And uh, we'll pray with anyone that needs prayer today. And we would love to do that with you. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, just thank you for your words to us here today. And Lord, I pray for anyone that's just going through just that anxiety or just that uncertainty, Lord, that we would be reminded of a church that you are coming back. You have everything under control. That you are holy. That you hold the keys. That, Lord, we can trust you that you're true to your word because you you overcame this world by conquering the grave. So remind us again of your faithfulness, Jesus. Remind us again of your goodness. Remind us again that even what we're walking through today, you have not forgotten us. And you just want us to depend on you even that much more. So Lord, help us to do that today. So we thank you that you're the cornerstone today. Help us to remain steadfast to you, Jesus. We love you, we thank you, and we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name.